Hello and welcome to the PFFUI podcast. On this month's show, President Tony Murray and Vice President Mike Whitehead provide the final update of the 2023 Indiana General Assembly. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the April edition of the PFFUI podcast. My name is Eric Scheub, and I'm joined today by President Tony Murray and Vice President Mike Whitehead. Gentlemen, the Indiana General Assembly adjourned early Friday morning. This has been a long session for us all that started in January, so please provide us our final legislative update from the 2023 Indiana General Assembly. Well, hello, Eric. It's good to be back. Um, I think we started with our first episode talking about our opening uh, salvo to the uh, General Assembly uh, back in uh, January. So, yeah, we are we are finished, or as they say, uh, Mike, signy die. And uh, I think overall we had a good session. Uh, Mike's going to get us started with a rundown of the list of things uh, that we worked on this session, and we had some twists and turns, I think, throughout the, the course. Yeah, thanks, Eric, for having us on here. And, yes, it was quite a ride. I'm glad the session's over with. It's been a... A long four months, and it's taken all kinds of twists and turns, but I think we did very well at the end there. I, th- I would agree with you. I think that we uh, we started out with a mission of priority bills that I think we shared with members, um, some of which we've been working on for a few years, and uh, really ended up with, uh, with a, I think, a successful session. Yes, and start out with the budget bill. Uh, this was a long session. Every two years they have a long session, and that's when they deal with uh, the biannual budget. It's about a $46 billion budget that the state comes up with to to work on for the next two years. And and in that, House Bill 1001, uh, the governor had an initiative that he wanted to fund uh, regional training around the state, build some new ones, and add to some existing ones. And I'm Glad to say that that money stayed in the budget. Yeah, it was very important for us, and I know that we've got a lot of uh, members across um, the state who are really interested in seeing some of those dollars come their way to to help improve their existing facilities or to 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 I think um, cut out some of the gap in terms of the distance between um, their travel to existing training facilities. So we'll see how that goes. I know that's going to be a process that's going to be managed through the Department of Homeland Security, and uh, I think. Uh, Mike, you and I hopefully will have some uh, a seat at the table for that discussion. Yes, too. hopefully yeah. we'll have some input on that. Also in the, the 1001 uh, was the EMS readiness money, and since Tony's the resident paramedic, I'll let him uh, speak on that one. Yeah, so this actually, um, part of this came out, uh, there's sort of two pieces. The, the Governor's Commission on uh, Public Health uh, had components of uh, additional funding that goes to, to EMS uh, recruitment, retention, training, uh, and to expand out our ability to, to respond to medical emergencies. Uh, and we had some real advocates on that uh, commission that really identified for the first time uh, and spoke in the in the um, context of EMS is part of healthcare. So between that and then actually the, the governor's uh, initiative for public safety, uh, there was some additional money in there too. And I think that uh, overall, that amounts to about $15 million, and, and is really largely focused on um, uh, focusing on 
uh, rural communities, rural municipalities um, to help assist in, in uh, standing up some EMS, but, but reinforcing EMS different places. And then finally in the budget bill, uh, we've been working on the PFOS testing and firefighters' blood with Representative Bauer for three years now. And we finally got the bill passed. It was House Bill 1219. And this is one that took a, a lot of different turns as it was going through the process. When it, it made it out of the House, fine, unanimous, went to the Senate, went to Senate committee, and then got sent to appropriations. In appropriations, they took out the funding out of uh, 1219, so made it basically a, a suggestion. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when the budget came up and they were going through the budget, they put the $200,000 funding for 1219 in the, into uh, 1001. So that's, that's still in there. And we worked um, through the summer before the session and then through the session to actually build some partnerships with one, uh, with the author, um, to understand what uh, Representative Bauer wanted to do with this. She took a lot of feedback uh, from us. We talked to some folks in the scientific community. We brought in and partnered with IDHS um, to talk about should this bill pass, what are we looking at in the future? And this, this is to test a 1,000 firefighters' blood. Uh, and, and we are u utilizing, or IDH will utilize, uh, because they're going to they're going to run it, they're going to manage it, but they're going to use a vendor out of California that uh, is somebody that the IFF has uh, had at conferences, been working with, um, that has developed a, a simple mail to your home kit, um, two finger sticks, uh, drop a little bit of blood in a pipette, put it back in the in the uh, box and send it off to the company, and then they will warehouse that information and provide. Uh, levels of PFAS. What we anticipate is low, medium, high, and what that means to a person in terms of how they should be treating um, their uh, screening uh, to try to detect it. The higher your levels are, the more uh, possibly in-depth screening, screening that um, a firefighter would need uh, to detect uh, maybe some disease processes. So um, again, I think that we're going to uh, have a seat at the table uh, when we talk about how and, and who and uh, who can participate, it is all voluntary. Um, and we'll have some career departments, we'll have airport fire departments, we'll have some volunteer fire departments as well. But this is just the beginning. Right. And uh, moving on, we've got uh, House Bill uh, 1025. This is one of our priority bills. And what this does, uh, it adds fire districts and fire territories to the Indiana law that uh, handles firefighter discipline. We've had uh, four cities and towns in for many, many years, and we, we think what it was was when this was put into law, there wasn't any fire districts or fire territories in existence. So we've had some problems in the last couple years, and uh, they've been omitted. So... Uh, we worked on this one, and it's actually going to the governor, waiting on the governors to, to sign it. Yep. Yeah, good bill. And uh, this this went through very fast and, and sort of early in the process, so through both chambers. Yes. And then uh, House Bill 1055, this, has, this deals with residency. Uh, we've worked on residency for police and fire for the last couple years. Uh, and this here is the last and final... Uh, part of it. Uh, what this does is if a city or town with a population 
of 7,500 or less, it was still up to the local unit. They could dictate where the police officer or firefighter lived. Now this removes that from uh, that language from the Indiana Code. So now if you're a police officer or firefighter for a department that services 7,500 or less, you can live anywhere uh, in the state or actually a state that touches yep. Indiana. Yep. it's a good law. Hopefully that'll help with some recruitment. Yes. And this one passed and it's waiting on the governor to sign. Then we got House Bill 1173. This started out as a, 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 a battery storage facility, dealing with that, uh, working with IDHS and working with the author. We got for the first time, we actually have NFPA law referenced in Indiana code. This will be NFPA 855. This deals with um, battery storage facilities. And we also got into law that if you're a fire department that's going to be responding to one of these plants, they have to open it up for the fire department to, to look at it, inspect it, and they have to come up with uh, some type of training on how to uh, fight the fire in these facilities. And it also puts a requirement on the, the State Board of Firefighter Training Standards to come up with a curriculum for firefighters to train to be able to fight uh, these fires in these facilities. Yeah, and the, and the training uh, and information that, that comes annually um, has to be funded by that that facility and, and whoever you know owns and, and maintains that facility. This is something that NIOSH has made a, a really big uh, push for awareness in the firefighter community. Um, because there's a lot of unknowns, we just we don't we don't have a lot of information. This is kind of one of those hazards that we respond to. That um, you know, I kind of think about like when uh, the first electric vehicles came out. We we just you know we had to learn how to adapt and, and address those things to one to mitigate the incident, but also to protect ourselves uh, from. And we're talking about a lot of energy storage that's put back into the. Uh, that's what these places are used for is to store energy and then put back into the uh, distribution system, electrical distribution system when at high uh, energy usage time. So it's it's a lot of energy coming at one time. So that's, I think this is a, this is a really good bill for us, All right. members. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, House Bill 1207 deals with uh, 911 fees. Uh, currently in law, uh, landlines, cell phones, disposable phones, they all pay a, a, a monthly fee. It goes to the state 911 board, and that gets distributed around the, the state to counties. It usually goes to pay for your uh, dispatch centers. It's been capped. This allows, uh, this bill here will allow the, the state uh, 911 board to increase those fees, which would in turn uh, open up additional revenue coming into your counties to pay for your dispatch centers. And keep the flow going, and that helps offset the cost of municipalities too, fire departments as well. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And uh, this one passed, uh, waiting on the governor to sign it. And then we have uh, House Bill 1321 mental health training for firefighters. We're seeing more and more firefighters uh, with mental health uh, suicides among the fire services on the rise, and this will develop. Uh, uh, mental health training and mandate annual training for uh, firefighters. Yeah, good bill and really a pleasure to work with um, freshman um, uh, state rep uh, Victoria Garcia Wilburn, who 
uh, authored this uh, bill and um, uh, was successful in getting across the line. And, and originally was just law enforcement, but we uh, we approached the author and said, you know, I think that we, if she would consider this, we'd like to include uh, fire and EMS as well, and, and which was included in part of the bill. Yes, and it's this one passed, and it's waiting on the governor to sign it. And then we got uh, House Bill 1341. This is another PFOS bill. Uh, our turnout gear has got PFOS in it. There's really no uh, manufacturer that makes the garment that's PFOS-free. So what this does is any new gear uh, that's purchased after June 30th, 2024, must have a permanent label in the gear that either says this gear contains PFOS or it's PFOS free. The reasoning behind this, twofold. One, put pressure on the garment manufacturers to try to come up with a, an alternate gear that's going to be PFOS free. And two, when you do start getting gear that's PFOS free, you can look and see which one has and which one hasn't to start to do away with the, the PFOS, the gear that's got PFOS in it. And um, this this author came to us, uh, Representative Oltoff from up in Northwest Indiana, to to uh, start working on this back in the summer as well. So th it was a real uh, good effort of collaboration to do that, and and hopefully uh, we're going to turn the corner on this and start uh, having uh, gear that protects our member just as well as this bunker gear does now, or even better. Um, there's always technical advancements, but um, you know our members are out in 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 these fires at uh, you know working in a what amounts to a toxic soup, um, we certainly don't need that uh, in the protective gear that we have. So um, I'm, I'm encouraged that this will help carry this ball a little bit forward, maybe make the development of PFAS-free gear uh, quicker soon. Yes. And this one here has already been signed into law, so this one's, this one's done. Tony and I, uh, we got a lot of calls before the session started. The buzzword was, you know, property tax relief, doing something with uh, the assessments, uh, people were looking at, uh, or our members were looking at, is local units going to get hurt with some kind of property tax relief? Uh, House Bill 1499 started out as it was going to do uh, some relief and it could potentially hurt local units. Uh, as of the end of the session now, everything that had harmful language in it that was going to uh, potentially hurt local units has been stripped out. So there's nothing in House Bill 1499 now that has a negative impact on local units of government. Yeah, that's a good thing. We got uh, House Bill 1578. This one passed. Uh, the governor has already signed it, and this deals with restricted addresses. Um, a firefighter or EMS can uh, uh, get with their local unit and, and request that their uh, uh personal information be restricted from uh, public records. So somebody in the, the public can't look up and see where a firefighter or an EMT paramedic lives and retaliate against something they felt like they were wronged. Yeah. And the bill author down um, out of the Evansville area, Representative Tim O'Brien, um, recognized the need for this and be, from a, a member of ours on the Evansville Fire Department who was attacked on the scene um, and uh, really created some concern for he and his family, and, and he was up um, to testify uh, in favor of this bill passing, and, and I think it's a good bill. We'll, hopefully, we'll have more information by the time we have our convention uh, that we can send um, 
back with local leaders to talk about how they do this. But I think that the in the bill it outlines that, that uh, somebody that wants to do that has to go through their county auditor. So we'll have some more information about how to do that yes. if somebody wants to. Senate Bill 43, this deals with uh, 911 dispatch residency. Um, up until now, uh, counties or uh, dispatch centers could mandate that their employees lived in the city limits inside the county, um, So, and it was very restrictive. So we, uh, we were able to uh, get this bill passed. Uh, this has to do with municipal dispatch centers, so, and this has been signed into law already. Uh, so now they can, uh, like firefighters, live outside the county, uh, live anywhere in Indiana. So this was a very good bill for, uh, and we have some uh, members that are just strictly uh, 911 dispatchers. Uh, Senate Bill 185. This one uh, is going to the governor, and this started out as uh, uh, airport authority allowing uh, airport authority firefighters to get into the, the 77 fund. Uh, Indianapolis Airport currently is in civilian PERF. Uh, they, civilian PERF doesn't have a, a disability, a death benefit like we have in the 77 fund. So this simply says that if the airport authority wants, which they wanted to, uh, to get into the 77 fund, they can. Uh, it also was amended during the process to increase the hiring age for firefighters to uh, from 36 to 39. Um, and now you can you can apply and become a firefighter in Indiana before your 40th birthday. You must be appointed before your 40th birthday. And then uh, we had it amended again to take care of uh, the technical corrections on our longevity. We passed the, the longevity increase from 20 to 25 years a couple years ago, and we've caught that when the bill was passed, it said up to 25 years. However, when it got printed into law, it said less than 25 years. And this was caught uh, by one of our uh, locals when they were in contract negotiations the city for the attorney said we can't give you 25 years longevity because what the law says so we were able to go in and then and correct this uh, it was amended to uh, to take effect immediately when the governor signs it so this is on his desk waiting for him to sign which we expect this to happen in the next day or two. So. Yeah, and like, and we'll send that information out and communicate that when it happens, because um, I know you know that this could affect some hiring processes or you know potential candidates that are waiting on a list uh, that may have exceeded their 36th birthday. And then that leaves us with our last two priority bills. These were number one and number two, or number one and number one that we started the session with. Uh, House Bill 1549 did two things. It increased the cap on our COLA. In the 77 fund, uh, the retirees have an automatic COLA. We're one of only, of the seven pension systems that emperors overseas, only two has a, <clears throat> an automatic COLA. It's us and the judges. Mm -hmm. We're capped at 3%. It's tied to the CPI. 
Historically, that's never been a problem. We've averaged 1.8% over since the inception of the 77 fund, except last year. Uh, last year, the CPI, I believe, was 8.5%. Our retirees got a 3%. So what we did, uh, we started working on this last summer. Uh, we took it to PMOC. PMOC looked at it, talked about it. Emperor's done a study on it come up with a cost on what it would do. Uh, we didn't want to hurt the fund, and we didn't want to put a burden on the employers. So Emperor said it would take a one-time injection into the fund of about $94 million to uh, do this. Uh, PMOC didn't vote on it. They, Like I said, they discussed it. We had a bill drafted, and we also had the the technical corrections for the longevity in House Bill 1549. Um, House Bill 1549 started uh, uh, slowing down in the process, so immediately we took out uh, the technical correction, got it into Senate Bill 185, and took care of that. And, and it ended up not getting a hearing, uh, right. the actual bill, <laughs> which we so, anticipated might be the case. Right, and, and the reason... The, the committee chairman didn't hear it be was because technically PMOC didn't vote it out. It's an unwritten rule that any pension uh, bill that has a monetary value on it has to be voted out of PMOC. So we didn't give up on it. We And we had the, uh, the chairman of the uh, committee, the author, on board with it. And our mission was to get it into the budget bill put it in there. And we worked the entire session on doing this, and it unfortunately didn't get put in the, the budget bill. So At the end of the day, but not not because of uh, lack of effort. I mean, Mike and I were in meetings um, with, uh, first, I think, Ways and Means chairman to explain, you know, sort of what we were looking at, give some details. And there's a lot going on. I mean, when you're talking about the size of the budget, you know, two-year budget that Indiana adopts. There's, there's everybody is trying to do the same thing, and that's carve out their portion of the funding. So uh, we stopped in over at uh, Appropriations Committee, had these conversations. We talked to different leadership, different folks that are, you know, involved. We met in with that. the governor on down. Yeah, yeah basically, pretty much yeah, everybody. Yeah, and and you know, it's something that we're not going to give up on. Um, you know, but maybe I, I think years, year to year, our priorities shift a little bit. We didn't anticipate. Um, going through a period of high inflation like we have been. So, you know, we're going to take a look at it. It's not something that is, um, you know, dead forever, uh, but we're going to continue to evaluate priorities when it comes to the pension fund. Um, and just, you know, as a little maybe brief segue, there were some issues and members often talk about, well, what about other changes to the pension system? There's going to be a, a variety of uh, thoughts and ideas um, that have been referred to Pension Management Oversight uh, Committee for uh, the summer study, uh, which that'll be a separate um, edition of the podcast that we can talk about when we know those and understand those a little bit better. So we're looking at and starting to discuss some changes to the pension system. I think, Mike, you would agree that, you know, our pension system or retirement disability is constantly uh, evolving and we're right there sort of going along with it to examine these things and then see what works, what doesn't, costs associated with it, that sort of thing. So there'll be more to come on uh, maybe some pension issues 
uh, later in the summer, and it's usually late in the summer, but we'll start working on this actually, oh, uh, maybe in a couple weeks. Right. <laughs> and we've been in talks with the FOP because the FOP is in the same pension that we are, so what we do, the FOP is going to, we got to bring them along. So we've been working with them on our goals for going forward on what we want to do with our pension. Yeah. And um, just as um, this PFFUI has done in probably the last, I don't know, decade or a dozen years, uh, spend the summer meeting with new legislators uh, and given the, what we call the 77 fund overview education to sit down, take about 30 minutes with the FOP and us, and we talk to legislators about what our retirement disability system is and what it isn't. And uh, that's been a, a very useful educational opportunity, meeting in the legislator's district when they're not in session, so things aren't as busy, uh, and we get a good understanding. And, and our, our retirement system has not been under attack, and I think that that's attributed to the investment, investments in several ways. But this way, sitting down with a cup of coffee with somebody for 30 minutes and educating them on, you know, what this is, uh, has gone a long way. So we're going to, that will start at the end of June as well. So we've got, uh, we know, we've got our list who we need to talk to. Yes. Well said. All right. And then ended on a, a good note, House Bill 1016. This was our uh, mandatory merit system. In law, it says, if you want a merit system for police or fire, the majority of the police officers or firefighters have to take a vote and if they vote affirmative, then the legislative branch has to take a vote. And if they vote affirmative, you start the merit system. The problem in the past has been the police or the fire will take a vote, and the legislative branch normally votes it down. So what we wanted to do was reverse the process that said you will have a merit system after a certain date, unless both the legislative branch and the firefighters vote to not have one. And that's the way the bill started. And this is the one that took all kinds of turns through lots, the process. Lots of twists and turns. <laughs> it, we started it in the House, went through the House fine, passed out of the House unanimous, 98-0, to zero, goes to the Senate, and then this is where it started getting strange. So, Tony, you want to? Sure, yeah. So when it got over to the Senate, and, and it was, uh, you know, the, the other interesting thing, and, and um, we really worked through the summer to get to this point where we had agreement and support from the Indiana Fire Chiefs Association. We did this as partners. So the Fire Chiefs Association, the Indiana FOP, uh, the Indiana um, Association of Chiefs of Police, um, and us, and we were all together and in agreement that this is the best thing. This would, it, it amounts to uh, merit systems are the gold standard. They they work best, you know, for uh, fire departments and police departments, and and have since the inception of the model merit system in the early '80s. Um, so uh, we've had a lot of merit systems created under the model merit statute over the years since the early '80s. 
Um, and we sort of thought, you know, they're working so well, and this is the gold standard. It's time to sort of professionalize our profession and increase it. So back, back to the Senate. Um, there, in the Senate, we started to experience some uh, opposition to the bill, to some, um, you know, the, there are other lobbyists there who have clients that represent, you know, their interests. So we started to get a little bit of pushback. We, we had some discussions, kept some dialogue going, presented some ideas. At the end of the day, um, an well, amendment it, was put on. Well, it was actually heard in a Senate committee, yeah. but did, they didn't take a vote. They yeah. held the bill, and it was three weeks yeah, before they basically said, okay, we're going to take a vote. So that gave three weeks for the opposition to work some of these senators. Yeah. So they were getting their message across. We were still, you know, trying to advocate for the the, the bill and why it was so important uh, it ended up getting an amendment put on it uh, in the Senate committee, which was then voted out of committee onto the, the Senate floor. Uh, we were tracking that that amendment, had some concerns with it. It passed the Senate floor, and uh, in the in the process of uh, you know bills becoming a law, there is an opportunity called a conference committee, uh, and the, the the bill author, uh, Representative Pressel, uh, felt you know strongly that um, the bill had changed. A little too much from its original, uh, uh, and we had some concerns about that, and, and and those involved. So at the end of the day, um, and and this is where it really got wild. Uh, not only one conference committee that passed and passed out a conference committee with some tweaks and changes. Um, the interesting, it was referred to rules in both the House and the Senate, so it passed that the rules committee. Uh, then it was put on the floor of the House and. Um, I think got overwhelming. There's only one no vote. One no vote. And uh, still, you know, some opponents of the bill were continuing to work on this as it was going over to the Senate. And a very strange thing happened in the Senate when it, when the conference committee report went to the Senate. Um, the Senate sponsor, um, there was some discussion in caucus, I think, and the Senate sponsor pulled the bill, <laughs> withdrew it, so it wasn't available for a vote. Uh, so back to the... House and and this, this is something that we and a lot of people at the state house had never seen. Mm-hmm. Once it got to that point where a bill passed out of rules and goes to a floor vote, they've never seen it withdrawn. Yeah, yeah. And that's something I've never seen. Because, I mean, the, the point of the conference committee is, Mike, I think that, that trying to make it better, trying to get some both sides uh you know where there is opposition to come together and 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 make a bill that everybody can live with right uh so it was pulled from the the senate withdrawn from the senate floor for so it couldn't be considered uh any further uh so the bill author came back and said you know hey i i want to keep this going a little bit i think it's important i believe strongly in this at the end of the day um the bill author had a, a second conference committee report in it that um, changed the bill a little bit in a way that um, increased the effective population uh, from 10,000 to 20,000. Uh, still the same number of full-time employees is there, so 12 full-time employees this would apply to. So 12 full-time, a population served to 20,000. Uh, but then also, uh, and this is kind of the crux of the matter, is that um, if the merit system is not opted out of, all right, by this law, then it goes into effect, and it goes into effect what amounts to three years. 
uh, because the bill isn't effective until 2025 that you have to have the merit system. And then in January of 2029, the legislative body, like a council, um, or the uh, controlling board of a district or territory, uh, and the employee group has to take a vote to either dissolve or retain the system, the merit system. Uh, so that actually uh, passed. But it wasn't uh, for lack of, <laughs> uh, we had a lot of work to do because the opposition still was very strong. Very strong. Uh, very strong in a way that at, 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 in the last week of and, the and it was the only session. on the Senate side. It passed yeah. out of the House three times yeah. <laughs> with yeah. only one no vote. Yeah. So uh, it, it really became in the last week of the session, um, became the talk of the state capitol there yes. were people talking about this like people this was that like, What's had going no on interest in it yeah. was now watching it just to see yeah it was a lot of chatter but you know so at the end of the day um this bill uh passed it's still in that 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 stage where we're waiting for the governor's signature uh which we hope to get uh, and this is a big step i think for our goal professionalizing our profession uh, in a lot of ways and and removing politics in hiring promotion uh, and shifting that to promotion hiring based on merit um, and allows for a, I think, a fairer process when appealing discipline. Uh, the author made a great point in conference committee, said that he has yet to have a, a local unit that has adopted a merit system come to him and say, we don't like this, we want to undo it. Nobody has come to this to the state house and said that yeah once you adopt it they like it yeah. so this gives gives a little bit of a pause to to implement it gives two or three four years to to look at it and then make a decision yeah and you know um i think too uh, mike you mentioned that this went through the house three times and and consistently only had one no vote uh the senate was a little bit different um that vote uh, we actually, we had to have a lot of conversations, really, with 50 senators on two occasions. Yes. Uh, in very short order um, to hear, you know, our side and ask for their support in passing this. Because at the end of the day, we knew we needed 26 votes in order for this to even make its way to the governor. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that the the vote ended up being... 32 to 18. Yeah, 32 to 18. So, um, you know... That's how the sausage is made. And this, this by far, it wouldn't even have got to a vote if it wasn't because of the relationships that we've built with those legislators over there. Yeah. So the, um, I guess for the new president, me, um, <laughs> my first session in this position uh, started out as a great honeymoon. It was very tropical and wonderful in the first <laughs> half of the session. Uh, but then... You know, we, we really earned our, uh, Mike, as I told Mike several times coming out of the state house, um, we're on overtime. I, <laughs> we're on overtime. We're tired. Uh -huh. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, I think, you know, that was that's a wrap, and that was a really good session. But we, here's the thing that I think everybody needs to understand is a lot of this is, is starting points. And once you get something started into law, you make some tweaks, you build on it, mm -hmm. you change it. Um, and you, you go back and fine-tune things from, from time to time. That's what we're there for. That's yeah. what we're doing there. And all in all, we had a great session. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't be uh, – I could be more happy.
of course, I could be more happy. Mm. Now, the other thing I, I do want to say about the merit system is we really um, are, have to provide some information to our members, and we're going to do that at our fall workshop yes. coming up in September yes. about how to implement the system. Well, Mike, Tony, uh, and Tom, who is not here today, but thank you for all of your hard work these past few months and the months leading up to the session. Uh, you guys are constantly working, and I, I know how hard that you guys have worked these past months and working the phones, working the pavement, going to all corners of the state of Indiana to ensure that our members are well represented here in the state capitol. So thank you guys very much. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. All right, appreciate the, the uh, opportunity to have this conversation. Hopefully uh, this provides our members with a lot of good information. Uh, this week um, was FDIC, and uh, we had a great time seeing a bunch of people, good friends uh, from all over, really, the world. FDIC uh, is a huge event for Indianapolis and for our members around uh, the country. Uh, and Indianapolis did a great job. Local 416 did a great job, and as always uh, – for a really big party at yeah, the end of the week. Yes, hats off to 416 for uh, everything they've done. Good seeing firefighters around the, the world here. All right, guys. Well, thank you all very much for joining us. Tony, Mike, thank you guys, and we will see you guys next month. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to the PFFUI podcast. We look forward to seeing you in Terre Haute on May 24th through May 26th for the 47th Annual State Convention of the PFFUI. Please save the date for the PFFUI Educational Seminar and Fallen Firefighters Memorial on September 7th in Indianapolis. For more information on news and upcoming events, follow us on social media or visit us at pffui.com. My name is Eric Scheub, and we will see you next month.